Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. Have your Bibles. Let's open to the book of Acts, chapter 1. The book of Acts, chapter 1. We'll take verses 4 through 11 this morning. And if you are ready, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Please be seated. The challenge for me is to try not to take away from any of the excitement that is going on in this uh, historical account of what happened to the Christians after Christ was crucified, risen, and ascended into heaven. Now, starting in verse 4, there's really not much of a connection to verse 3, a direct connection as far as sequence goes. They're independent of each other. But we look now at verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Well, of course, he made these periodic appearances to the disciples after the resurrection. About 11 are recorded uh, in the Gospels and in Acts. And this uh, being assembled together with them, there they are. Uh, One of these periodic appearances... Uh, They are doing what the church has done ever since, what the church is supposed to do, to assemble together with Christ. Thomas is no longer the missing man. At one point, that disciple was not present. He did not assemble with them. But he learned his lesson, and he is present and accounted for at this point. And, of course, rich, rich with lessons for all of us to make sure I'm not the missing man when Christ shows up. Well, we know that Jesus never leaves us nor forsakes us. But are we careful to not forsake the assembly? This is so important. It is so so disappointing how clear the, the Bible is, the New Testament is, about the New Testament assembly. And yet, how many Christians are reluctant to grab hold of the, the value and the importance. Listen, the Koreans, the North Korean Christians, they would love to be able to assemble and freely worship their God, but they cannot. And so for us, we have to say, well, okay, I accept this. What am I going to do with it? Because I know Satan's coming after it. Anything that is productive for the kingdom is a target of hell. It is no question. It is not if he's going to attack. It is when. And it won't be one attack. It will be constant. And we should be ready. The gates of hell shall not prevail. You either believe that and trust God and follow, or you miss out. And so this book of Acts, so dear, it should be so dear to all of us, because the Holy Spirit is saying, look, I want to show you what the first Christians did. And in this section, we have a powerful promise that you shall receive power 
to preach me. Well, that's for individuals, and that is for the church also. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, it tells us here in verse 4. That is a command. Don't leave Jerusalem. Now, we're not sure where he was when he said this. He could have been in Galilee, because he did tell them he would see them in Galilee. He could have been on the slopes of Bethany, uh, where he was ascended from. But this was something that Luke records even twice, and it is... Uh, a clear command. Uh, this is um, something not to lose sight of, like everything else here. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. That was their order. Now, we're not under this restriction ourselves to, at this point, but we are watching them to see what they are going to do with what he tells them. And this comes into the story because he's going to say, wait for the Holy Spirit. And who would you think of all the apostles will say, okay, I'll wait, but while I wait, I'll take some initiative, and it will be misdirected. That will be Peter. And we'll get to that later, but that's, those things are for us. Well, he has to make sure they're going to be in Jerusalem for the Pentecost. And there is going to be just droves, multitudes of Jewish worshipers in Jerusalem, 50 days from the time of the crucifixion. Uh, they needed time, these disciples, to absorb what had taken place over the last three years and over the last few days since his uh, crucifixion. Uh, in this 40-day period that Jesus would show up randomly and then go away and then show up again. And we were told that in verse 3, that over 40 days he would uh, show himself and then, again, uh, not be visible to them. Peter would get the idea that he took this time to study up on Scripture. And when we see him speaking in, in Acts chapter 2, we are impressed with his knowledge of, of Scripture, the Old Testament and his application to the things that are taking place uh, after the ascension of Christ. And again, lessons abound. Uh, it's like the famine with Joseph. You know, there was a severe famine. But Joseph was ready. God prepared him. And, of course, they had the seven years of, of plentiful, and he stored up the grain. And so when the, the severe, when the famine came and then grew severe, Joseph was ready. And that is also uh, a picture of the Christian life. We are supposed to store up on God's word. Amos the prophet said, there's a famine coming, but it won't be of food. It's going to be of God's word because you really don't care what I have to say. Uh, I love these lessons from Scripture. Uh, I love that over the years they've not died down for me. I love that the same Jesus Christ that saved me, that took hold of me as a sinner, still loves me, still invests in me, still is patient with me, uh, still, still treats me with respect. Believe it or not, the God of the universe treating me with respect, even when I'm clumsy and foolish and, and can't seem to get it to where it needs to be. Well, his command to them to stay at Jerusalem, of course, they're eager to do whatever he, he tells them to do. They're going to learn. Well, first off, they don't know what they're missing yet. I mean, they don't know about the Holy Spirit. They've heard about it, uh, but they really don't understand still what's going on. The church evolved in that sense. The church evolved into what we have today. And Paul, leading the charge getting rid of so many things that were a hindrance to the church, that were a hindrance to converts from the Gentile world, and the Holy Spirit leading every step of the way. So they're going to learn that without the Holy Spirit, they have tongues to speak the word of God, just no fire. And that's so when we get to chapter 2, and, it, and they all spoke with tongues, and... Uh, the, the, the image of the, the tongues of fire over them, but the fire, without that fire, there they were praising God. Without that Holy Spirit, it would have been ineffective. And they're going to learn these lessons, and hopefully we'll learn them with, alongside of uh, these first Christians. He says, but to wait. That's, again, an imperative from Christ. Waiting for God requires trust. To do it right. I mean, sometimes God puts us in a situation where I have a choice. But other times, we, we do have. We can mess things up. We can refuse to wait. We can meddle. 
We can fidget with things that we're supposed to have our hands off of because we're supposed to be waiting for him. Waiting for God not only requires trust sometimes, but endurance, the long haul, and sometimes courage. I, I find that a helpful thing to be mindful of, that patience requires courage. I have to have some personal bravery uh, that is invested in waiting for Christ. He said wait, because the urge is going to be not to wait. No need for the command. Courage enhances all the attributes, all the virtues that, that belong to Christianity, patience, perseverance, love. How, how much greater is love when you are courageous for Christ? Loyalty. Loyalty in labor. Learning. Living the Christian life. Courage enhances these virtues. And I don't know about you, but I do know about me. There have been times I've lost sight of that. It takes, it takes some heart to do what Jesus says to do. And not that, you know, the temptation is because I'm a believer that somehow I'm, on, I'm going to automatically do the things that I'm supposed to do. Because I'm a believer, I'm automatically going to know how to preach the gospel to people. That's not true. Otherwise, who needs the Holy Spirit? Why would we need power to preach if, if we could? These men had the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. They just weren't overflowing with them. Not yet. And I'm going to spend some time on that. Hopefully, better get moving here. But I hope that uh, you, we don't lose sight of the importance of Christian courage to make us bold as a lion to do the things that we don't necessarily want to do. And there is that fine line between initiative and impatience. As we will see, Peter, Peter will confuse the two. Well, we've got to do something, and the Bible says. And he messed it up. Uh, anyway, waiting for God also needs strength rather than weakness. You have to be strong to wait in addition to being courageous and trusting God. To, as I mentioned, to not interfere. Strength to hold strength in check. To restrain oneself from some blundering activity. This is uh, really good on paper. It's really good in, in hearing it preached. But when your time comes, what are you going to do? I have tried to draw from scriptural lessons for everything. I have tried to, tried to find its parallel in scripture somewhere that I could know how I'm supposed to behave. And it is uh, much easier sometimes to just busy ourselves for God than to wait for God. But as I mentioned, as we are waiting, we can be getting ready. It doesn't mean do nothing it just means don't do what you're not supposed to. Don't do what you're supposed to keep from doing. Luke's Gospel 24, there Jesus, it says, He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. That's what was happening while they were waiting. That's why we're going to see Peter. When the Spirit does come upon Peter, we're going to see this just outpouring of Scripture. This is what the prophet Joel said. And there we have an example of working while waiting. I mean, Peter, as many blunders as he made, he wasn't all wrong at all. He's a great, a dynamic figure, and we're so grateful for him. I've said this before. You go through the Gospels, and you say, thank you, God, for the dumb questions of Peter. Because we wouldn't learn. There's so much we learn from his questions and how the Lord uh, handled him. Uh, so there's no slight on the man. We have to see ourselves in these things. Anyway, um, are we getting how beneficial these lessons are? I'm not trying to sell them. I'm excited about them, but I'm not trying to sell them. And I think the born-again born believer is excited about them too. Or, when we have lessons on these first Christians from the book of Acts, these powerful promises... Do we fail to see how beneficial they are? Because we're waiting to have our ears tickled. Because instead we want to hear the pastor tell me some problem in my life is going to be all right and God loves me and God has a plan for me. And, and there's some truth in some of that sometimes. Uh, but uh, not, not, all, not always. For instance, God has a plan for you and you can mess it up. 
And so I, I, these things keep me courageous. They keep me on my toes. I don't want to get caught flat-footed. I want to be ready because I have been in the Word, because He has opened my understanding to comprehend the Scriptures. How profound. Well, He is... He had already charged them to go into the world to preach, but they weren't ready just yet to do this. And so there's a delay. He's going to equip them with the Holy Spirit. And hopefully when you leave here today, if you didn't have it before you got here, you'll be leaving here saying, I have to wait for the Holy Spirit. I can't just do whatever I say, whatever I want to say, preach however I want to preach. I must be led by the Spirit. Who would object to that? What Christian would say, you know, uh uh-uh. I really don't need the Holy Spirit. I'm fine. I read the Gospel of John last night. I'm ready to go. Of course not. Well, the promise of the Father had to be complete silence when he says these things, right? Wait for the promise from the Father. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 16. Here we have Peter. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then here's Joel, chapter 2, 28. And it shall come to pass afterward... That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That means they shall speak God's word. Uh, There's other things belonging to that. But that's the the primary application of prophecy in the book of Acts. is speaking forth the truth of God. Not necessarily predictive prophecy. He continues in Joel. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And also on my maidservants, uh, men servants and maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. My point of reading Joel is to say that Peter is going to apply this. When when the spirit is given to the church on Pentecost, Peter is going to quote Joel and say, this is the promise. This is what the father spoke about. Uh, This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And of course, Joel got it from from God. Now, Jesus also in John's gospel had said, you received the promise. I will pray to my Father, and he will give you the Spirit. He says here in verse 4, which you have heard from me. Again, the second time, Luke brings this up. He does it once in his gospel and once here. No less than seven times. Does, uh, do we hear about the promise that God would send the Holy Spirit? We'll take one, John chapter 7. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And Luke or John will later record when Jesus breathes on them. We may get to that later if we have time and says, receive you the Holy Spirit. But it's not the same thing as that day of Pentecost. Verse 5, for John truly baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, Jesus refers back to John, the the baptizer, John the Baptist, contrasting the two different types of baptisms. John's baptism, which was a water baptism, was a confession of sin and an awakening of the conscience before God. John's message was repent, be baptized. And do those works fitting of righteousness. Uh, It was an Old Testament call to cleansing the life in devotion to God. And in many cases, re-devotion to God. John called the Jewish people to symbolize this devotion through being immersed in water. An outward demonstration of an inward pledge. But John's baptism is not the Christian baptism, I I should add, it was an Old Testament event. Leading to it, they are connected. John the Baptist knew Jesus did not need the cleansing, did not need to be baptized. Matthew chapter 3, John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? Question mark. Of course, Christ was being numbered with the transgressors. That's one phase of it. John's baptism was one of recommitment. Ours is rebirth. When we are baptized, we are saying, I am born again. The old me has died in Christ, and the new me is risen in Christ. 
I am a new creation. Old things are washed away. This is the Holy Spirit's baptism. It's one of salvation. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. That is when we become believers. Now there's controversy here. Many believe that, well, there's just one baptism. The Holy Spirit and the baptism of Jesus with the Holy Spirit being the same thing. And then there are others that say, no, there's a threefold experience of uh, this baptism that we uh, have in Christ. or this experience with the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit's baptism, as I mentioned, one of salvation, quoting 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. But here, Jesus' baptism, that he's going to baptize his apostles with on Pentecost, empowers them to preach Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 11. John speaking, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, these distinctions, they're they're necessary for us. We read about John and we say, okay, but I'm a Christian and there's there's been another baptism that I'm told I'm going to experience as a Christian and John himself is the one that started it off. So there is a difference between being filled with the Spirit and being baptized with the Spirit. And this is not something to fight and argue about. You, you may have see different approaches to it, and that's, that's okay. But this is my view. It's the view of my pastor, uh, Chuck Smith, and it's the view of, of others, too. The moment we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. But that's not enough. As I mentioned, these men were saved. But that wasn't enough. That's why they had to tarry in Jerusalem, to wait for the Spirit. Have you ever met a Christian that believes in the Lord? Believes in the Bible, is saved, but just has no power. Doesn't share Christ with anybody, isn't excited about sharing Christ with anybody. It's sort of just um, just without the fire. Uh, saved and going to heaven. I, I don't dispute that at all. But there's more available according to these lessons. And again, the moment we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the moment that we receive him, the Holy Spirit begins to indwell us. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So let's, let me just review this threefold experience with the Holy Spirit is taught in the Gospels and the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit, incidentally, at work in the life of a person, even before they give their life to Christ. He's already at work in, in, in the person that's going to become a believer. And the ones that, oftentimes, the ones that hear the gospel and reject it, well, the Holy Spirit was trying to draw them in. He, he was beside the apostles, endearing them to Jesus. John's Gospel, chapter 14. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, But you know him, for he dwells, now the Greek word here is para, alongside. For he dwells, para, with you, and will be in you. Two different experiences of the Holy Spirit. The first one is, he is beside you, para, drawing you to Christ. The second one is, you become a believer, he is now in you. The Greek word is, uh, in our English, en, and he is in you, not In, same meaning, a little confusing. But there's still another one. He was in them, enabling them to know the scriptures. We covered that. John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 22. This is before the church was born on Pentecost, when the promise was given. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, they had the Holy Spirit. They were saved. This is New Testament theology. Things are, are, are expanding and evolving. The other phases of his promises are now being fulfilled. But then, when he fills them, he comes upon them. Another Greek word, epi, for upon. Empowering us to witness. And that's what he's promising here. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That para, next to, n, inside, and then epi, upon. 
when you just this uh, outflowing of the Holy Spirit, where it's not only in you, not only about your salvation, but now the truth flows from you. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, a distinct event that has not happened yet. And chronologically, as we're looking at this in Acts, uh, John said of Jesus in chapter 1 of John's Gospel, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You see the emphasis that the Scripture is making on the Spirit of God for the New Testament church. It's very exciting. It's very necessary. All baptisms speak, are supposed to speak of commitment. Something to be immersed in. Ezekiel kind of gives a picture of it in Ezekiel's prophecy in chapter 47 where he starts off with, you know, he saw in a vision a man step out and he was ankle deep in the waters. And the waters, of course, are speaking of the Spirit. And that's, you know, that uh, experience of salvation. And then he ventured out a little deeper. And now he's, he's knee deep, which speaks of prayer. And then he's, he's waist deep. And that's the, where the power and strength is. But ultimately, he's swimming. And the only thing you can see on is the head, because he's swimming, he's immersed, and the head of every Christian is Christ. And so that's a, a beautiful picture of the experience that is of, available to us as Christian and entering into the Spirit of Christ until we are immersed, and, and Christ is who is most visible. We call it Christ-likeness. The most essential element in being baptized, whether it be by water or the Spirit for the Christian, is agape, is love. Because if I have not love, the Bible says, I am nothing. That's pretty big news. And you know and I know that Satan works to keep you from loving. Uh, he, you know, he wants you to love those who you like. But he does not want us to love those who really get under our skin. And as a pastor, I think I've got more than you as a rule. And so I better learn how to love. And when I feel the flesh coming up, I go, I run to the Father, and I say, Lord Jesus, help me love. Um, and, and he's been so faithful over the years to do it in his own subtle and powerful way. Not many days from now, he says, and if his instruction here occurs 40 days, as verse 3 sort of suggests, then in 10 days or so, they're going to have this experience with the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 6, I know there's a lot of information, but uh, nowadays we don't have to worry about it too much because you just get the recording and rewind it and listen to it again and then cross-reference the verses and do your own research as a Berean-minded Christian would. Verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Well, they're very comfortable dialoguing with him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Understandably, they wanted to know the future. They thought that maybe now he'll unseat the Roman authorities and give Jerusalem back to the Jews to rule. They, again, did not understand his ministry of salvation and the future ministry of his rule. And so, again, the church is evolving. Here are the, 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 the apostles, and they're not ready. There's still work that has to take place, and it will keep having to take place in them as the years go by. We know even Peter was a student of Paul's writings. He said Paul says some hard, difficult things. The bottom line is right. It's Scripture. It is God. And others who twist them, they do to their own harm. There's a caution here, though, for us. We can become distracted by end-time lessons. We can, uh, to the point of missing what our mission is right now. It's all saying in Christianity, so heavenly minded of no earthly use. So just watch out for that to where we're not so into end times we forget everything else. I like to think about in, in my own life, I, when I first became a Christian, I loved the thought of the rapture. Woohoo, getting out of here, baby. But in time, dealing with parents who have children that are lost, Ah, my attitude has changed. It's like, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to stay, to be part of getting people saved. I'll get to heaven when I get to heaven. 
But uh, and the rapture is beautiful, and we should be excited about it. But there, that's not the entire story of our Christian experience. Uh, once the church is taken out of here through the rapture, it's going to get very nasty here on earth. Uh, you know, Amos the prophet said, "You know, don't go around running around saying the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Like this is going to be some wonderful thing. It's going to be judgment. It's going to be wrath." So while while these are the seven years of fee, of, of of harvest. Let me do all I can do to be ready. And in that, of course, applying it to being useful to the king to save souls. What else am I here for? Well, what, are, what are you here for? What is, what is your life? For me to live as Christ, said Paul, to die is gain. But it's more advantageous for me to be with you, that I can do the work of the kingdom. We should see these things, and we should embrace these things, and we, we should be very mindful that this is why Satan attacks the church. This is why Satan loves to attack Christians. He hates that you have this message and the power to preach it, and you should know that. There should not be any Christian walking around, well, I don't know what to say. How do I lead people? Just tell them what you know about Jesus Christ. You're a witness, not a lawyer. Thank God. Verse 7 again, and he said to them, it is not for you to know times and seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. So he's not rebuking them, nor is he saying that he doesn't know the answer to their question. He's just saying that's not the focus right now. I'm going to give you power to stay and to preach. And you're talking to me about wanting to have the kingdom back and every, you know, and that, well, that's going to come. How discouraging it would have been had he said in answer to their question, when do you, you want to know when the kingdom's going to be restored? Over 2,000 years from now. I mean, they would have been, oh, man, what do you do? So he just he dismisses them, and, and they go along with it. They don't give in. There's no record of them <clears throat> fussing over this. He says in verse 7 at the bottom, which the Father has put in his own authority. In other words, some things are classified. Now, back to business. And that's exactly what he does. And Luke captures that. He says... Well, let's take 7 and 8 together. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but, but, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, epi, that's that Greek word, epi, upon you, in addition to being in you. Another experience that we shouldn't be afraid of. doesn't make us less Christians. Uh, you... Uh, comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Yeah, how many people, how many people are in heaven simply because some Christian along the way preached Christ, maybe very subtly, and maybe that Christian didn't even know what was, just, you know what, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in the Bible. If you all want to run with the culture, run with it, but I'm not going there with you. I know my Savior lives. I know I am a sinner. And then that's the end of their speech. And somebody hears that, uh, that that person may never see again in this life. And they act upon it. And they become a Christian. May we never, may we never diminish the power of the tongue. It can start a, a how great a forest, a little fire can kindle. Well, it works both ways. Satan can use the tongue and create big problems. Many of you, especially at holiday time, you have these family problems because somebody just said something dumb or mean or just can't let go of the past. Okay, that's the flesh and the sin, fine. But then there's the other side. There's the preaching of the truth with fire, the tongue. Uh, well, and I'm looking forward to getting to chapter 2, not this morning, uh, it's, but again, it's hard because as you preach from the book of Acts, you're always saying to yourself, I'm just not bringing it out. I'm just not bringing out the truths. And it, you, you know, you think that some Christians are just scratching their heads. So what is he talking about? The beard next to you, in you, upon you. It's actually very basic. And it's all right here. You can't just want to use the Greek when you want to make your, you know, your doctrine profound and forget it on other areas, it's, it's across the board. We go a little deeper when we go into the original languages. Anyway, 
Having dismissed their question, he gets back to business. He says, dunamis, we get our English word dynamite from this Greek word. He says, you're going to get dynamite, and that's going to help you blast through things. And I am... I know when I used to preach the gospel in the world, there was the power of God, and I could feel it. I knew it. I knew it. One reason why I knew, because I never preached to anybody that God didn't open the door for me to preach to. And when he opened the door, it was like a hallway, and I could just walk right in, and I could preach Christ, and I did. And those days were wonderful. I, did, I look back with nostalgia, because now my mission is to say to Christians... To, to you know, get out there. Don't preach a word to the Holy Spirit. Says preach it and watch what happens. I mean, you can't. How many? You can't speak. But so many times in the workplace, you wear out your. You know, but God can bring you other people from other places and other experiences. Would you want your pastor to say something less? Would you want me to say you don't really need the Holy Spirit? This is a little bit overdone here. Just make sure you read your Bible and enough, you know, reference materials and listen to sermons online, and you'll be fine. Well, you ain't going to hear me say that. Uh, I, what I'm going to say is, yeah, read the scriptures, of course, and <clears throat> study up. And be ready for those years of famine. Uh, but you wait and trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Luke, again, Chapter 24, verse 49, Behold, this is the first time Luke records this promise. Acts here is the second time, because Luke wrote Acts also. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem, until you are, and here's why I wanted to read this verse, until you are endued with power from on high. Not a casual statement. It's not, you know, a, a, a preposition. It just helps you get to, it is the point. To be endued with power from God Almighty. And then Christ says here in verse 8, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, said with utter confidence that it's going to happen. I hope if when you leave here this morning, you feel like, man, I just want to preach to somebody. Uh, that's, you know, the Spirit moving in you. That's the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go back to Pentecost. That's not going to happen. You're going to have a personal Pentecost. John's Gospel, chapter 16. And I enjoy reading these four verses that I'm about to read. I've been reading them a few times lately. I enjoy it. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. How's he going to do that? Through us. There is no other vehicle. There's the scripture. There's the written word, of course. But the dispatch of angels preaching has not yet come. It's us. It's the church. That's why we are suffering the garbage in this life amongst unbelievers. It rains on the just and the unjust. Get out there. Get excited about it. He will convict the world of sin through you and through me. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Though that's where we come in. That's how I became a believer. Somebody preached to me that tongue of fire. In my case, it was a face. It was a face of fire. I mean, just looking at me. That look of my brother looking at me like, you poor, pathetic, stupid idiot. No, that's not what it was. <laughs> it was that sad. They look at me like, I can't help you. I've preached to you. I can't do anything more. And it just irritated me. And so I got the Bible, and I got saved. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit and nobody else. And, of course, we talk about Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Father. We're talking about the Godhead. They're, they're not, you can't divide them. John continues, he says, Jesus speaking, of righteousness because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. That's our message. Satan's dealt with. Yeah, he can still do a lot of, cause misery here. But in the end, when I breathe my last, he's done. I'm finished with him. I never again have to worry about Satan. He won't even come up in heaven. And that means that literally and metaphorically. Anyway, the power of the Holy Spirit. Participating in my serving God, that's exactly what the scriptures are teaching. Satan, you know, you've 
find any church in the world where they're preaching the gospel from the pulpit and trying their best to uphold it in the, in the clock. And I promise you, Satan's going to attack. He's going to attack through, he's going to attack with enemies, foreign and domestic. He's going to use people from the outside to attack, and he's going to use people to, from the inside to attack. Don't, be, don't let it be you. Don't fall for that. Just repeated tactic that he uses all the time and pulls it off. Paul, writing to the Philippians, said, you know, uh, Syntyche, Eurodia, you, you got this problem with each other. Brothers, help these two women out. Their emotions are going to mess everything up for everybody. And that's all he had to say. Well, he says, and you will be witnesses to me. That is a guarantee. If this were a promise only for the apostles, then the church would have died with them. But it is not. It is a promise that we will be witnesses to Christ and the power of the Spirit because of Christ. It is for us. It is a promise for all who come to Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And you can't do it any other way. So what does Jesus want from my life? That's, this is it, to be his witness. So let's not pretend that it's something less or something other. Ephesians chapter 6. This is Paul under the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of, the, of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. I want that. I want every bit of that. I don't know how much of it I'll get, but I want every bit of it. And when I hear Paul speak, and I hear him, I say, man, I, don't, I, I can't serve that way. But, I, but if I could just get a portion of it, if I could just get a little bit of that, I'll be a lot better off than without it. And if he can do it, I can grab some of it too. Judas Iscariot wanted something else. Being a witness really wasn't high up on his list of priorities. Being a conqueror was more important to him. Mark chapter 13, Jesus says, If you are being persecuted for me, the Holy Spirit can speak to you there too. He can, pre he can speak through you when you're preaching the gospel, and he can speak through you when you're being crushed for the gospel. But when they arrest and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you shall speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. These are beautiful things. Who else has this? Nobody. No other religion on earth comes even close. We are the people who are to tell the truth about Jesus Christ. And the first time, the first time we hear the voice of God in our Bible, it is in the creation of light. One of the most quoted verses of all the Bible. Let there be light. And Jesus said of himself that he was the light of the world. And he also said that the individual believer and the church assembled are the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. A city, a city is made out of a multitude. He continues in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Don't let that become too basic to you to be a part of your life. You say, yeah, but I'm being crushed by this and that in my life. We're still supposed to have be, a, be a light. Uh, just because hard, hardship's not supposed to quench the Spirit, put out the light. It is one thing to be filled with the Spirit. It's quite another thing to have the Spirit flowing out of you. And it can do that in hardship, good times, bad times. He says, in Jerusalem, amongst the worshipers. This is what Jesus said of Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. That's where I want you to start preaching. <laughs> start preaching there. Beginning at Jerusalem, give them another chance to hear the truth. And that's what they did, and many were saved. Well, when we get to chapter 2, we'll see it. By beginning in Jerusalem, the apostles... Gain the advantage over skeptics. Oh, he's not, he's not risen, huh? Well, the grave is right around the corner. Let's just go see. Are you telling me the fishermen stole the body from Roman soldiers? Come on. That's, that's just goofy. I, I, won't, I won't be part of such a silly debate. 
So Jerusalem, ground zero, of course. Judea, amongst their countrymen. Judea came to include all of the Jewish areas in time. Samaria, amongst their opponents, rivals. You know, the Samarians, uh, uh, you Jews say you worship in Jerusalem, but we worship here, you know. And and Jesus is saying, listen, don't forget them. You have to preach to them too. To the end of the earth, amongst foreigners. At one point, our Lord restrained his disciples. He said, I don't want you going to the Gentiles. I don't want you going to the Samaritans. Just go to the Jews. But things change. Matthew chapter 10. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the city of the Samaritans. Well, as I said, that's changed now. We are not to use the sword, but the tongue of fire to spread the gospel. Islam was spread with the sword, and it is maintained the same way. And loyalty to Islam is kept under a threat of death. Christianity is not that way. Never has been. And any Christians who have tried to pull it off that way are false Christians. Or outside, at the very least, what the scriptures teach. Loyalty to Christ is maintained by love and the power of Christ. Well, that's 45 minutes. We're gonna, we, we can finish these last two verses because they, they kind of flow very quickly. Verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. A grand departure in front of his people, his witnesses. They would never forget this. This this is the kind of stuff that would come back to their mind when their life was miserable for them in the work of ministry. This is the kind of stuff that they would go back to, uh, to, to be recharged, when they felt that ministry was just stripping them bare and leaving them with nothing. You've heard me say before, well, I don't know, maybe you haven't. Maybe I just thought it in my head. But uh, there have been times that I felt that I was a much stronger Christian before I became a pastor. But what was really happening is you're you're in the arena. You're really in the arena. Uh, You don't have the luxuries you used to have. You can't just, you know what, I don't like you anymore, and don't call me. You know, you just lose a lot of ground. You can't say, you know what, meet me outside. You can, but it's just not. So, you know, it just comes down to you just get stripped and just beaten down. And, you know, nobody likes that. But God is faithful. God is faithful. I mean, Jeremiah, when he was being pulled up by the Ethiopian from the, the pit that he was in, he didn't say to the Lord, what took you so long? He just continued to do what he was doing before. He continued preaching. Well, uh, again, as I mentioned, he did not remain visible with them throughout those 40 days. He was teaching them that though he wasn't seen visibly, did not mean that he was not present or unreal. He was very much present. Uh, Christ in heaven, but not absent. And that's what Romans 10, verses 6 through 8, talk about And uh, we don't have time to get into that. But heaven is not far away. It's right here. In the sense of the throne of God. It's totally in touch with us. Verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, he went up. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Oh, they're awestruck as, you know, as he went up. It's interesting. Almost all the commentators like to say, we presume these were angels. No, they were icy salesmen. Uh, they were selling Italian ices, and they just happened. And of course, they were angels. Who else could they be? It's just a humorous little thing. And they're very nonchalant. And, and while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand?" Verse eleven, gazing up into heaven. This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will also come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Well, they were once men of Galilee, but there are going to be a lot more by the time the Spirit gets hold of them. Where the angel says, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? Angels tend to ask in the New Testament annoying questions. <laughs> and, and this is one of them. It's like, are you kidding me? Who, you don't, not that you don't see this every day. You never see this. No, why are you standing up? And, I'm awestruck. What do you think? Anyway... This same Jesus, the angel doesn't let them ring in. He just keeps talking. Uh, This same Jesus who was taken up from you to heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. That is another promise. 
and uh, the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory. And his earthly ministry is now ceased with the ascension. This is the ascension that he goes up into heaven. The Holy Spirit is the substitute on earth for the bodily presence of Christ. We don't have the bodily presence. And we, as I read from John chapter 7, that the Spirit could not be given yet while Christ, until he was glorified. Well, that's what's going to happen in Acts chapter 2. And we'll close with this verse from Revelation 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Let's pray. Our Father, you have left us all the information we need to get to work. And during those times when we have to wait for your spirit, and those times when the spirit uh, turns us loose to preach with those tongues of fire, we thank you. If you have been listening and you are not right with Christ, you're outside of the faith, you've never opened your heart to him, you should be told if you don't know all the judgments are upon you, your guilt is on you, your sin is on you. All those things that you know are wrong, that you do to others, you are going to be held accountable for them. And there's nothing you can do in your own strength to stop it. Except you can receive the invitation of Christ. You can come to him. And he will wash away your sin. And make you a new creation in Christ. If you make this confession, and you mean it, God will receive you. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me for breaking your commandments. I come to you. I give my life to you. I ask that this day, from this day forward, you would be not only the one that saves me from the judgment to come, but the one who lords over my life and uses me right here and right now. Now, Father, if anyone has made this confession this morning, may they not be ashamed of it. May they be eager to tell of it. These things we commit to your hands in Jesus' name. Amen.